0: Good afternoon and welcome to Redneck Radio, the only podcast that the Almighty subscribes to. Straight from his mother's basement, it's the voice of reason, the good word, possibly the savior of America. It's Thaddeus and Redneck Radio. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I know we did here at Redneck Radio, and we took a little bit longer break than usual and that's why the podcast was pushed back a couple days. But from here on out, we're going to try and get you this podcast every Monday to help you get through that week. And I hope that your holidays were as eventful as mine. I, I had to actually go out the Friday after Thanksgiving to buy a new phone because my ex-wife smothered my phone in some gravy after I told her that Tom Brady was nothing but a camera-hogging pretty boy. Black Friday itself is, is quite a fascinating thing. I mean, if you think about Thanksgiving, what is Thanksgiving about? It's about giving thanks for the things that you have. But what what is Black Friday about? It's about trampling those weaker than you to get something you probably don't need. Now, when you think about all the things that start with the word black, it's a pretty dire list. Black death, black plague, black mamba, black widow, uh, black hole. Then we have the black uh, flag that was flown by the pirates. And I think that Black Friday kind of fits neatly inside that list of terrible things. Because it's a day that brings out the worst in Americans. And I've got to be honest, it's somewhat embarrassing to watch the news on Black Friday. And I feel that it's a black eye for America. Black Friday is definitely a black eye for America. And maybe at all these stores where people have perished, we should erect a statue to remember those who were trampled to death uh, for 10% off on a bread maker. And, and maybe I not pictured this statue. It looked kind of like the people raising the flag on Iwo Jima. It would be, you know, a group of adults fighting over a flat screen TV that's kind of being pulled off of a shelf, and they're all reaching up trying to get it. And underneath them are children trampled by the crowd, looking up with, you know, this look on their face like, what's going on? Why are you stepping on me for 20% off on a Samsung 70-inch flat screen? And I think that maybe that would help remind people of the souls that have been squashed um, on Black Friday. And by the way, who is bringing their kids to Black Friday? I mean, what kind of a reckless mom shakes their kid up out of bed at two in the morning and say, we got to go get in line. You know, we got to go get 20% off a, an Elmo doll or whatever it is. And they drag their kid along. I mean, if anyone's going to be trampled, it's going to be children. Would you take your kid to the running of the bulls in Spain? I mean, would you take your four-year-old? No, you most definitely would not, although I think there might be some who would. And it, would you take your kid out in the middle of a stampede? I don't think so. But for some reason, it's okay to take your five-year-old, six-year-old uh, at two in the morning to Walmart uh, and f- you know take them to that stampede? I don't know. I think that maybe... Uh, That might be something people need to look into. But you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be so judgmental. You know, one man's embarrassment is another man's badge of honor. And maybe these people, they get off you know, throwing elbows at 5 in the morning for 10% off a remote-controlled car. Or, you know, maybe they love trampling their fellow man. And there's not a lot of places where you can get away with stepping on other people and shoving other people. I mean, on Black Friday, they're not really arresting the people who push and shove and trample. They're only going to arrest you if you get in a fight or, you know, beat someone to death over that that new Christmas toy that your kid just has to have. And I, I wonder if a present's ever been given to a kid where the parent forgot to wash the blood off of that present. You know, the blood that was spilled when he uh, claimed that gift as his own. But anyway, as I was saying, uh, Black Friday is definitely a black eye for America. And this brings me to my next topic of conversation, and that is the Climate Change Summit taking place in Paris. If you didn't know what that is, well, let me just tell you right now that the Global Climate Change Summit that's taking place in Paris, France, uh, it's a place where all of these These big wigs, big politicians, uh, CEOs, just people concerned about the environment. It's where they take their private planes, some of them as big as, you know, 747s, and they all converge on Paris with all of their assistants, and they have big fancy cars, and they have meals served by professional, famous chefs, served rare dishes that have to be flown in, and they consume a lot of goods, and they travel a lot, and they create a hell of a lot of pollution... And they're all coming into Paris to talk about the, the, you know, the pollution problem. So what they're doing is creating a hell of a lot of pollution to talk about pollution and the problems of pollution. Now, right there, that should tell you everything you need to know about this uh, summit. And that it's just a bunch of hypocrites getting together to figure out how they can gain more control over the populations that they rule or, you know, wish they could rule. Now, I'd like to, if I could, at this moment in this podcast, give a brief history about climate change. First of all, it wasn't always known as climate change. In the 70s, when the topic became popular, it was initially called global cooling. Now, that may come as a surprise to you because many of you grew up in the era when it was called global warming. But early on, scientists predicted in the 1970s that we would see a rapid cooling of the Earth. And when that didn't pan out, they decided that it would be wise to change it to global warming because now it looked as if the science pointed to a warming trend across the globe. But when the warming trend stalled in the late 90s and we didn't see much growth in warming, well, then they, they decided it was time to change the name again to climate change because climate change allowed uh, you know, for cl- global warming and cooling. It was a more ambiguous term. They weren't trying to be specific about the effects of man-made pollution on the earth. Now, also in the 70s is when they begin to predict all the dire consequences of the human effects on the earth. And I love looking at these predictions. It's as if since the 70s, the climate changers have been those people on the corners with the sandwich boards declaring the end of the world. Now, as I said before, in the 70s, they were predicting that the earth was going to experience a new ice age. Uh, I don't know if anyone's looked around lately, but I don't, I don't think I see a new Ice Age coming, and a, one that's definitely not here right now. As well, they predicted that all the oil would be consumed by uh, 2000. And also, I don't know if you've been to the pump recently, but it's at an all-time low, and there definitely seems to be quite a bit of it still around. Now, I, I admit it will eventually run out, but it sure as hell didn't run out in 2000. These same scientists also told us that there would be massive famine around the globe, except for in the most developed countries. That also didn't take place. And then, then, you know what? One of my favorite stories about climate changers and their predictions gone wrong is in 2014, last year, a group of scientists took an icebreaker down to the South Pole to document the melting of the polar ice caps. And they had predicted you know, that the polar ice caps were going to melt to a certain point by a certain time. And so they were taking a boat down there to see if their predictions were correct. And even before they got to their destination, they got trapped in ice. Now, if you don't know what the meaning of irony is, that is the meaning of irony. And these scientists, they had to be rescued. But the next boat that came to rescue them also got trapped in ice. Now, a lot of the people, magazines and newspapers, didn't actually say that that's what these men were down there for. They weren't, they weren't announcing their climate change research when they got stuck in ice because it was so damn embarrassing. And then to my last and favorite prediction, and that's Al Gore's movie, Inconvenient Truth, which he made in 2006, where in the movie, Al Gore declares that in the near future, sea levels will rise by 20 feet. Now, it was smart of him to use the term near future because it, it, that could be five years, that could be 100 years, and in geological terms, that could be 100,000 years could be the near future. But I think that he used it saying that pretty soon, you know, the, the sea level was going to rise by 20 feet. And what makes this so interesting is that in 2010, Mr. Al Gore spent, $8 million on beachfront property, a big mansion and some property. I don't know about you, but if I really believed that sea levels were going to rise by 20 feet in the near future, I don't know if I'd be investing in beachfront property. Now, others have pointed out that he actually owns three beach homes. And that is really startling for a man who was de- declaring that there would be stronger hurricanes that happened more often and that the sea level would rise it really seems to me as if some of these people promoting climate change and a lot of these people in paris they actually don't even believe the things that they're saying and oh my goodness this might come as a surprise to you but they have an ulterior motive when it comes to discussing climate change and figuring out how to solve it. Now, I feel bad for all of their minions who follow them blindlessly as they get yanked from cooling to warming to climate change because these people actually wanna do something about you know the pollution on the earth, and I can admire that. The problem is they're led by charlatans, liars, and frauds who will do whatever they can to gain power and make money. When I think about these men in Paris, I think about Harold Camping. Now, if you don't know who Harold Camping is, you can be forgiven for that. He was part of something that took place in 2011. Now, Mr. Camping was president of Family Radio, which was a Christian radio network. And he predicted the coming of Christ and the destruction of the world on May twenty-first, two 2011. Now, many of you sitting there here today, listening to this podcast realize that the end of the world did not take place on may twenty first two thousand and eleven. But when the date came and went and 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 Mr. Camping and his followers lurked around and they realized that no one had been taken up, well, then he went into quickly into crisis mode, and he claimed that he had made some miscalculations due to you know, a problem with the dates that he had researched in the Bible. And he predicted that October 21st, 2011 was actually going to be the end of the world. So basically he said, look, I'm sorry. I I didn't calculate things correctly. Uh, You know, I've figured out my mistakes. I've run the numbers and the end of the world's going to take place October 21st, 2011. Again, if you're listening to this podcast, you realize that the end of the world did not take place in October of 2011. But anyway, he came out and he said that the end of the world was going to take place on that day and that the world would be destroyed by hellfire, plagues, and floods. Now, to most people, it seemed as if he pulled these dates uh, out of the air. And the way he pulled these dates out of the air was he did some shady calculations and he he, uh, used these dates and these numbers to predict an apocalypse and kind of push his agenda, which was repentance and acceptance of Christ. Does that sound familiar? People seemingly pulling predictions out of the air, pulling dates out of the air in order to stoke people's fear and motivate them to do what they want. Now, Mr. Camping got millions of dollars in donations when he made his first prediction, and he got a lot of attention and followers. And I think that by predicting the end of the world, he was able to motivate a lot of people. And so it's no wonder that the people in the climate change movement use similar tactics because if they try to use logical ones, they're not going to really get anybody's attention. But if they're constantly declaring the end of the world, if every time there's a disaster, they can label it a climate change. Well, that's how you motivate people to do what you want. You scare the shit out of them and then you convince them to follow you and to give you money. And that's exactly what they're doing in in Paris right now. And the funny thing is that these people who are telling me what's going to happen 100 years in the future, if we don't change the way we interact with our environment, these same people who are telling me what's going to happen so far in the future can't even predict the weather three days in advance. I mean, come on. Let's honestly look at it and agree that I don't care how powerful your computer is. You are you are unable, completely unable to predict the uh, future of global climate. I mean that's why you went from cooling to warming to climate change because your predictions were constantly becoming wrong. As the years advanced, your information and your predictions were proven wrong. And why should I expect that to change? Why should I listen to you now? What has changed? Nothing. And the fact that I've seen so much money squandered in the name of climate change I'm even all the more cynical, and I have no desire to listen to these people in Paris who tell me that it is the greatest threat to mankind, and and that's what they're saying there in Paris. They're telling us that climate change is the greatest threat to us now, and they blame everything on climate change. Hell, they blamed ISIS on climate change, if you can believe that, and I know you probably have a hard time believing that, but that's the truth. And so I just have a hard time when these people get together, spending all that money, creating all that pollution, just to tell me how to live my life. But here comes the oh hell no moment. That moment when I say something and you just think, oh hell no. We humans are really screwing this planet up. Especially the people who promote climate change. In my mind, they're some of the worst individuals out there. Because they say one thing and then they turn around and do the complete opposite. I mean, if you look into these people who are the biggest promoters, the big public faces of climate change, these are the world's biggest hypocrites that you're looking at. But the truth doesn't change. And I'm not talking about climate change. I'm not talking about the hockey stick graph. I'm not talking about global cooling or global warming. I'm just talking about the earth in general. You know What's going on, what we're doing to the earth differs by region, area, country, but I think that if all of us take an honest look around, you can see the effects of the humans on this earth. Hell, if you want to see the worst of it, just take a look at any picture of India and you'll see that... Yeah, we definitely have an adverse effect on our environment. I mean, just look at that pollution. It may be that in that case sunlight is not reaching the earth at full capacity because there is so much pollution. And India, they're not they're not expected to exactly trim back on their pollution. They're they've got plans to open up more coal factories. And that's the same thing with China. Now, I lived in China for a while, and I'll tell you right now that I took a flight from Shanghai down into central southern China. And all I saw was a blanket of pollution. And I went to Beijing, which is known to be one of the most polluted places on earth. And it definitely lived up to its reputation. So I think if you take an honest look at the earth, you can see to varying degrees that humans are definitely creating problems for this planet. It's most likely that you don't live in Beijing or Bangladesh or one of these places where pollution is visible all year, all the time. But I, I believe that if you took an honest look around where you are right now, you could see where po- uh, pollution and, and other issues are a real problem. And I would guess that in your heart, you would really like to see those problems solved. But the problem is, whenever someone wants to talk to a conservative about environmentalism, the conservative response is to f- tell that person to fuck off. Because they don't want him interfering with their own business and they also don't want these people especially those public figures in the climate change uh area they don't want these people who are massive hypocrites telling them what to do and it's hard to talk to an environmentalist because they're so sanctimonious and self-righteous i get it i don't want to talk to them either but that doesn't mean that conservatives don't care about the planet And it doesn't mean that conservatives don't want to have a plan on how to fix these things that are so obviously going wrong. The liberal media would love for you to believe that conservatives all drive monster trucks and have giant tire fires in their backyard. But what is conveniently overlooked is that rednecks were actually one of the first environmentalists. They were environmentalists before environmentalism became cool. I mean, rednecks were hunting for their own food, gathering their own food, repairing old clothes, driving old cars, learning how to fix old cars, and they don't buy every new gadget when it comes out on the very first day. And so I would argue that rednecks were the very first environmentalist. And let's also not forget that Republican figures have done a lot more for the environment than most liberal figures. And what I'm talking about here is Theodore Roosevelt, you know, a Republican icon, huge hunter. I mean, that man slayed more animals in Africa than, you know, entire hunting communities combined. But he was one of the first people to recognize that land had to be set aside so that the public could appreciate it generation after generation because you could see with a writing on the wall which was any land that wasn't claimed by the federal government was going to be consumed by corporations and private interests now i know that a lot of you get hot under the collar when we talk about the federal government owning land inside of your state. And I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not saying your state couldn't do a better job. What I am saying is that he set aside a lot of parks, national parks and national monuments that we all appreciate today. And we go to a lot of these parks and we can understand the need when we're sitting in these parks to set these things aside for future generations. And not just that, a lot of us wouldn't have anywhere to hunt if it wasn't for government-owned land. If all land was private... Not only would we be in a terrible situation, but we would have nowhere to hunt. And this brings me to my last point, which is this. Republicans, conservatives, and rednecks should reclaim their spot as stewards of the earth. We are the ones who truly appreciate nature for what it is. We're the ones out there, off the trail, hunting deer. We're the ones spending time hiking, surveying, and scouting. We're not the ones who just go out to nature's best spots to take a picture where we can post it on Instagram. We truly love the earth. But when it comes time to solve these problems which all of us acknowledge and agree are real, we're not there. We're not part of that discussion. When I feel like we should be. But conservatives just don't come up with an environmental plan because environmentalism is a dirty word within the conservative movement. I'm telling you right now that I think we should embrace environmentalism within the conservative movement. I think rednecks already do. And I think that we should help set the policy. Otherwise, we're going to end up with things like the war on coal, which is costing thousands of jobs and billions of dollars. And the reason that we're losing this battle is because nobody is out there fighting for us. We don't have an alternative plan. Our response to environmentalism is to tell these smug assholes to piss off. But it would be nice if we could come back with an alternative plan that uses common sense and honesty as its main approach. That's my dream, and I think about my dream every time I wake up and I see a large amount of smog outside my window. And that's my dream whenever I see a new dirt road being plowed through the forest during hunting season, and I have to listen to cars drive by all the time. And that's my dream when I'm out hiking, and I see a six-pack of beer that someone drank and then left it in the middle of nowhere. I mean, who hikes with a six-pack of beer out into the middle of nowhere? Who is that person? I need to find them and slap them across the face with one of their empty beer cans. Anyway, I could go on and on about this, but I'm already five minutes over my time. All I'm saying is that I know that we love nature, us rednecks, conservatives, and Republicans. And I know that in our heart, all of us have an idea of how we could solve these problems. I just wish that, that we, we would speak up a little bit more often and that we would offer alternative plans, you know, to counteract these really these really stupid ones that our politicians are currently coming up with. Anyway, that's all I've got time for today. Thank you for listening. If you want to see where I got all this information, go to redneckradio.blogspot.com. We've got links there to all the information that I use to create this podcast. If you've got any comments or suggestions, feel free to leave them there. Soon we'll have all of our social media up and running, and then you can berate me on all of those platforms. But anyway, thanks for listening. I hope that you learn and grow, and I will talk to you later.